Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. The Houndsman XP podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> I get tons of messages about lion hunts a week. I don't even know how many I get a week, but it's been several. People are looking for opportunities to hunt lions. Whether you're a houndsman back east here and you want to take your hounds out to try your hand at catching one of the most elusive creatures, the American mountain lion, panther, puma, whatever you prefer to call it, or you're a deer hunter or an eastern bear hunter or whatever and you're looking for this opportunity Cleve Dwyer is on the podcast this week and he is going to talk about how to select outfitters 
some tips and tricks that he's learned and everything from skinning to packing to shipping, all of the stuff that goes into a lion hunt that we often don't think about. You know, we think about the success of finding the lion, getting the lion to the tree, but what do you do after it's on the ground? How do you get it back home? All those sort of things are in this podcast, so this will be a good one for you. We take a pretty deep dive on how to select an outfitter. So if you're listening to this podcast and uh, you're thinking about hiring an outfitter, then Cleve's got some really good points about how to do that. If you are an outfitter, maybe you need to listen to this and uh, get some tips on how to talk to clients and some expectations. So if you have that deep burning desire to go out west and chase mountain lions, You need to listen to this podcast because we answer a lot of those questions. We talk about things that you may not have thought about. It's all here, folks. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Also, I want to let you know that there is a wild and crazy movement going on on social media. We have established a new hashtag, and it has to do with Fair Chase. The hashtag is hashtag this is Fair Chase. We started that with the intent of getting the message out that we believe in what we do, how we do it, and dispel any rumors about whether or not hunting with hounds is fair chase. It is. Be proud of it. Use that hashtag on your social media posts when you're posting your adventures. It's real easy. Hashtag this is fair chase. Show the world who we are. Be proud of who we are. Nobody's going to do it. We've got to do it for ourselves. Speaking of standing up for ourselves and doing things for ourselves, we've got a late-breaking news story that I need to cover in this pre-roll because we need to take action on this, folks. Utah Houndsman Association notified me that House Bill 469 has been introduced. It actually flew through the Senate and the House, which would delist mountain lions in the state of Utah. So you can go to Utah Houndsman Association, get all the information that you need on this bill there. There's also information on how you can contact representatives and legislators in that post. This is our opportunity, folks. We gotta rise up and show the world that hunters care more about mountain lions than anyone. We can't allow the mountain lion to be delisted in Utah. It's time to get down to business in this podcast. And as my buddy Larry Anderson would say, this is a box shaker. Let's get the tailgate down. It's time to dump the box. What's your, what's the best time you've taken? What's the best time you've taken this year so far, Cleve? Oh, I don't know. My brother got a big one, but we killed two big toms that day. It was it was really big. He killed two big toms this year, so I don't know. They're probably 155, 160 pounds. They're probably 155 pound lines, you know. Yeah, yeah. That one, that one's going to score really well. So it might might be right at right at book or just below it, you know. Yeah. Are you are you getting guys from all over? Are you getting a lot of repeat clients? Or what are you guys getting right now? You getting any mm-hmm. newcomers? Yeah, yeah, we got some new guys and then some of our repeat people, so a little bit yeah. of both. <laughs> well, I want to talk about I want to talk about choosing your outfitter. I want to talk about a lot of different things here, but we're going to talk about choosing taxidermists. We're going to talk about 
why it's important to choose an outfitter that knows how to take care of your hunt of a lifetime. And I see so many people talking and calling the, you know, mountain lion hunting their bucket list hunt and deer hunters from back East and, and bankers from New York city, you know, everybody is, is itching to get to the mountains to try to kill a mountain lion and take a mountain lion. And, and it's not something that you can just drop into town and, and do effectively. I mean, we got a lot of hunters and houndsmen coming from back East here that are seeing some success in the West, but it's still not the same. I think it takes a few years of going to the same places and, and, uh, stuff like that in order to be able to be successful for somebody like me. So, um, it's, it's always best, I think to, to choose your outfitter wisely. So, we're going to talk about taxidermy. We're going to talk about skin them. We're going to talk about all of that sort of stuff. So Cleve, you've got a lot of experience on, on doing that sort of stuff. And, um, let's just roll with it, man. Where do you want to start? Um, you know, you could probably start with picking an outfitter, you know, when you go to go. Seems logical. Outfitter. Yeah, it yeah, seems like, logical. Mm-hmm. Just make sure that 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 outfitter's got a lot of experience and then check the references, you know, if they can't send you 40 or 50 references, you might not want to go with them. Cause that's, that's yeah, but isn't what it takes to get good at it at least, you know? Yeah. But 40 or 50, man, that's a, I'm not going to, I probably wouldn't spend that much time. And then I would always be worried that, you know, you're not going to send me the, the list of names of guys that left pissed off. No, 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 but <laughs> I, I, I have a list and on that list, there's people that went home without a mountain line, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and I got, I got it, you know, right there, unsuccessful harvest. So that the, you know, the prospect can call them and say, you know, what, what happened? Was it a good hunt? You know, who knows? Sometimes they might say, yeah, that cleaved wire wasn't worth a crap, you know, <laughs> but um, uh, keep it transparent. So, right. Well, let's, let's start out with, you know, let's just say that a guy is listening to this podcast that, um, uh, has never hound hunted in his life. He doesn't, um, he, he just has, he's deer hunted. He's been on outfitted elk hunts and different things like that out West, but he's coming from the East. Let's just lay out some realistic expectations and services that they are going to get from a good outfitter. Yeah. So a good outfitter, most lion hunts should be one-on-one. Some are, you know, one, one guide per two, per two clients, but we don't do it like that. Ours are all one-on-one. So you should, should have your own guide and that guide should have his own pack of dogs with equipment, you know, side by side or snow machine or mules or whatever pickup truck. Mm -hmm. Some guys don't have any of that. Just got a pickup truck, but should have, should have your own guide with his own pack of dogs. So you don't have to share a guide, you know, mm -hmm. especially with a total stranger, you know, that's one thing and make sure, you know, your, your guide has plenty of experience. You know, you don't want to hate to say, it, you don't want to take some guy that's, that's his first or second guy time ever guiding mountain lion hunts or something, you know, that's not saying you won't kill one, but make sure that you're getting, getting somebody with a lot of experience. But, okay. So, so an outfitter, and this is what I've seen a lot. I know a lot of outfitters in the West that they focus on deer, they focus on elk, maybe they focus on sheep. And then a lot of times these, these lion hunts are like, oh, well, we can extend our, 
season or our income, really what it is, it's they're increasing their, their income by adding lion hunts later. And they're subcontracting those lion hunts out to other houndsmen. Is there a, so they're not necessarily houndsmen themselves, but they, their outfitting area includes mountain lions. So they go ahead and outfit for lion, uh, mountain lion, but they hire local houndsmen to actually be the guides. Yeah, you nailed it. That's exactly what happens a lot of the time. Yeah. So guy that booked you, hell, he might not even be a line hunter, but you find somebody that to guide you, which sometimes that works out, but that that guy that's booking you, he can't he can't always answer all your questions and he's not he's not a lion hunter, you know. Sometimes he is, but that's that's one thing to think about. And then see how many lions they harvest a year. You know, some of those guys, a lot of them only kill three or four lions a year. Mm-hmm. You know, after their deer and elk season's done, they they take some hunters and they bring them in as on call when the snow's fresh, and that's you know that's how they run it. But um, if you're if you're gonna go on a on a hunt, be sure to go with somebody that even if it's a snow hunt, make sure that you can you make sure you're going with somebody that can hunt dry ground and snow, and look through their photo albums on their website or their Facebook page. Make sure that there's some lions in there. There's no snow, you know, and people aren't dressed for snow type of stuff. Right. And that's, that's a good one because you might book a hunt during December, January, February during a heavy snow month and you get a, like a Chinook or a January thaw come through and you're just hunting around slop and crust of snow and really tough conditions. You're going to be wishing that you'd picked a different outfitter. You know, because that's when, that's when the, the really good guys know what to do in condi- conditions and situations like that. And the the guy that's not that good, he just he's just used to hunting fresh snow. Mm-hmm. He's gonna be lost, and he's gonna be like, man, you know, he's gonna be lying on a fresh snow to come in. So keep that in mind. Otherwise, your your whole hunt hunt could be blotched just because of poor weather conditions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So by picking a good outfitter you can overcome the weather. We can't, you, you as an outfitter cannot control the weather. If you've got me booked, you know, next week, there's no way that you can control the weather there. So the Chinese are controlling it or something, but, uh, but yeah, you, yeah. Cleve, Cleve Dwyer doesn't have, have a, uh, you can't see the clouds and you can't, you can't make ideal conditions. So a good outfitter or a good guide is going to know how to catch a line in, in multiple conditions. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Have, have a good chance at catching one still, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So kind yeah. of just check into that. And when you call them references, ask, ask them references what kind of conditions it was, you know? Was it snow? Was it dry ground? Was it mud? Was it rain? That way it gives you a good idea of what that outfitter's capable of. Mm-hmm. That way you don't get out there with high hopes and then just, you know, it takes the wind out of your sails and then it sucks at that point. Right. So, yep, definitely. Well, for guys that do choose an outfitter, maybe they, they were out for an elk hunt, but, and I, there's a couple guys that I know that, uh, that do contract work for outfitters. Should, should a hunter ask their outfitter that question? Are you a houndsman or do you subcontract your lions out, you know, your lion hunts out? Is that a 100%. good question? Yeah, that's a good question. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And ask, you know, Hey, are they, these, are these your dogs or are they somebody else's dogs? And if I'm going to go with someone else, can I talk to him? I'd like, there to you go. Him. That way, you know, 
you can pick his brain and see if that outfitter is kind of full of crap and if he's just trying to sell you a hunt or if or if that guy that's going to guide you or one of the guys that they think they'll guide you has any idea of what he's doing mm-hmm. so make sure that you know he's legit ask him how many years he's been hunting i mean you don't have to pry but kind of pick his brain and then you also want to get on the phone and talk to him and see if that's somebody you want to spend seven days riding <laughs> yeah. around hunting lines with sometimes sometimes uh, that's not the case you don't want you get there and you're like man this guy's a jerk you know yeah yeah that's a that that'd be a real red flag you know you, you end up calling your outfitter and you're talking to him he's like no we said you know I, I subcontract that out i don't keep my own hounds if he doesn't want to let you talk to his guide man i'd i'd turn around and run from that in a heartbeat because either one either one he he doesn't have somebody that's loyal to him that's going to do the work for him or you know he's just flying by the seat of his pants type stuff exactly yep for sure yeah or or he's yeah exactly you know flying by the seat of his pants and he might not even have anybody yeah that's right ready to guide you and then he has to scramble to find somebody and last minute he finds this guy and he might might not be that great a line hunter so yeah if if you if you've got a good reputation for being a top line guide that you work for other outfitters then you usually don't have to look for work so a lot of these a lot and i'm not totally trying to rip on outfitters here i'm just saying be cautious if you're going to and and do your homework because if a guy hasn't booked any lion hunts and then it's getting late in the season, it's going to be hard to find a guy that that's going to come and, and just drop what he's doing. And you're going to get what you get at that point. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely something to think about. Yeah. Keep that in mind. And if you think, you know, if you call him and you think he's kind of full of crap, yeah, call somebody else, you know, and check around, call the references. If they don't have references, if they don't have quite a few of them, I'd, I'd probably go someplace else. Yeah. So I booked this lion hunt and I'm, I'm used to going to, uh, you know, green mountain lodge and, and having all my meals catered for me and all of this sort of stuff. Uh, is that a real expect realistic expectation when you're booking a lion hunt or, you know, just tell us how, how that normally goes. Oh, I mean like food and lodging and all that. Yeah. That yeah. Yeah. You know, some, some outfitters, they got a lodge and especially those guys up North, like in Montana and Idaho and all that. A lot of those guys have a lodge. So they base out of that. A lot of, uh, a lot of other outfitters say Nevada and Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, those guys typically put their hunters up in a motel because you might mm-hmm. need to be really mobile. You might not be finding any lines where you're at. So you might have to drive and you know, go to another town, maybe 80 miles away and spend the rest of the hunt there looking for lions. So ask them, you know, if, if you're at a lodge all the time, or if you're on the road, staying in motels, ask them who pays for that, mm-hmm. you know, who pays us food and lodging. Like I, I have my guys, our clients get their own food and lodging because that makes it easier at the end of the day. I can, I can kick them out and they can go, you know, get cleaned up and go to dinner and stuff. And I can go take care of my mules and my dogs and, whatever you know so that's that's how we run out some some people steer away from that they're like man i want to be fed and you know i, I want to be catered to and all that but yes yeah, that's the way we hunt it because this country's so big we, we don't stay in one place all the time we got to keep moving you know so if you kick if you kick out some lion hunters at a motel 80 miles away are you driving home that night to feed your mules and switch out hounds and all that sort of stuff 
if you had a no. oh no if, if if we're on the road i i got the mules taken care of if i don't have them with me or whatever if we're on the road and we do have mules with us i i keep them at a trail out of town you know okay so yeah yeah so but you I don't but, take care of those then but there's still work to be done and i think that's mm-hmm. something i'm talking to people that aren't necessarily houndsmen here but there's the thing that people that are booking lion hunts should understand is that when you drop your hunters off your day is still going on you've got hounds to feed maybe you got hounds to doctor you got mules to feed you got tack to put up you've got you know just preparation for the next day and and um unless you're a big operation a big outfit you know the the social time and the entertainment doesn't necessarily come with with the lion hunt uh you're going to get your entertainment in the form of of adventure and catching lions and stuff like that but uh so we're kind of trying to set out some expectations here for when you book that lion hunt what you're actually going to get it's not a it's not a um you don't have necessarily have sir you know serve serving staff and stuff on the south serengeti like you do in south africa for a mountain lion hunt in the u.s Exactly. Yep. So at the end of the day, you know, your outfitter, you know, drops you off at your motel and you go get something. He still has hounds to feed. He's who knows. He might have maintenance to do on one of his machines or yeah, put put new put shoes on a mule or something. He's out there in the dark, you know. So his day starts, you know, maybe an hour before before the clients does, and it ends probably an hour and a half or so after that. So yeah, depending on what you get into. Yeah. Exactly. So it's a longer day. That's something to be expected, you know. Some mm-hmm. some some clients are like, "Man, let's go to dinner." I'm like, "Yeah, if we kill a lion, let's go to dinner." But uh, right now, I'm tired. You know, I got I got too much stuff to I got to go get taken care of. So right, right. You know, yeah, they're there for a good time, and you're there working. You know, and I think we lose sight of that sometimes when we start looking at the outfitting businesses. Um, you know, th- that's that's your that's your job. You know, mm-hmm. if I fly into, if I fly into Nevada to hunt with Cleve Dwyer, I'm there to have a good time and you want to yeah. make sure I have a good time, but I also have to have the expectation that if I hire you as an outfitter, that if I don't allow you to do your work, then I'm not going to have a good time. Exactly. Yeah, you know <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not going to be successful. Sure. Yeah, it's going to be tough, you know, and then they say, man, instead of us going to dinner last night, man, you probably should have fixed this side by side. Yeah, we can't. We we decided to go. Yeah, we decided to go eat dinner last night and, and drink buckskins. And and now we have to work on the side by side for two hours before we can start our day to day, guys. Yeah, that's exactly. not going to that's not going to fly. No, no, we have to be Most of, on your line. Well, if you ever get the chance to get us some extra sleep, you better take it. Yeah. Most of the guys I know though, that I've been around at different outfits and stuff, you know, if they're, if they're clients and they're coming in, a lot of them will help. They, they, a lot of guys will pitch in and help. And there's been times where I've seen guys that were better mechanics than the outfitter, (laughs) you know, that, that Mm -hmm. could zip through some of that stuff. I remember one time we were in Montana and, uh, uh, we were working on a side by side. I was not the outfitter. I wasn't the guide. I was just there freeloading. And, uh, 
he had some clients in and this guy was a, a Polaris mechanic from, from back East, you know, so oh, heck yeah. So it was oh, like, yeah, I'll, uh, the outfitter was ready to buy that guy's dinner that night for sure. I bet. Yeah. yeah. That's handy. Really yep. handy to have. Yeah, for sure. So, all right, let's answer the question that, um, it gets, gets asked a lot. I want to know what your reaction to this is. So the first question that, that a lot of lion hunters will ask is what are your success rates? How do you as an outfitter answer? What are your success rates? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, first of all, I never tell anybody I'm a hundred percent. I think there was one year we were a hundred percent, but I never even claimed that. <clears throat> um, I always tell them, you know, all depends on weather conditions, but most years you're about 70% mm-hmm. successful. There's some years we're 90, but on average it's going to be about 70% successful. That's taken in snow, dry ground, all those conditions, throw them all together. That's what it's going to come out to be. Um, that's on a seven day hunt. So that's what, what to expect on, you know, when you come hunting here with us. Um, on that same point, there's going to be a lot of outfitters out there that say, yep, hundred percent every year. We're that good. I'll stay away from those guys. You, that's what you want to hear. They're telling you what you want to hear. Yeah. And you're thinking, man, you, everybody wants to be sold on something, mm-hmm. but they're, they're claiming hundred percent or something like that. Yeah. They're, they're, they're full of shit. There's a lot so, of, there's a lot of females and, and sub adult lines getting killed if they're, if they're running a hundred percent year after year after year they're not very picky they just want to get a line on the ground for you and move on to the next guy exactly yep so and they're killing small lines and, mm-hmm. and I, they're killing the stuff i'm passing on but like no i'm gonna let you kill a 70 pound line <clears throat> you know yeah we're going after have you told guys no it's a, you know like no we're not yep, killing I, tell, I tell them that all the time yeah and what's your reaction it's like man i paid six thousand or whatever you know i paid all this money to come out here and, and hunt and you're not going to let me kill a lion. What do you tell them? Uh, well, I, I let them know that front up front. So yeah, you know, we, we, we seldom ever kill females. So we, uh, we strive to kill Tom's and we're, we're probably going to pass on some females. We're looking for a big line, you know, mm-hmm. so we, you know, it's from a conservation standpoint, not from an ego standpoint, which, which is some people might think, but no, it's, from a conservation standpoint, I don't like killing them females. So we pass on them, pass on them, pass on them until we find that right Tom. Sometimes the guy goes home without a mountain line, but, uh, yeah, you don't want to, you want to kill your producers. So that's what, that's what I tell them when they book. Sure. That's, yeah. That's Cause you're looking for, it. you're looking for a sustainable, sustainable model into the future. And if you're knocking the, you know, knocking the ends off, then boom, you're not going to have, you're not going to have that next year or the year after or three years down the road. Exactly. Yeah. You got to have some forethought and whatever you do this year is going to cost you three years from now. Yeah. That's going to hurt you. So yep. Yep. If, if it's the wrong situation, wrong, wrong choice. So yeah. And then um, another thing to think about is if you're booking a hunt ask the, the outfitter, if you can use his rifle or something. And if you're not bringing a bow, if you're just bringing a rifle, sometimes it's easier to use his rifle instead of bringing your own on the airplane. Mm-hmm. So that I have a lot of guys that run into that and they they're more than welcome to use ours. So that, yeah. that takes a lot of the headache out, especially if you're a on call hunter, like wheel call or last minute hunter. That way you don't, you don't have to scramble getting all that stuff taken care of. 
let's talk about calibers in a few minutes here. I got one more question I want to ask you when uh, one more book in this hunt uh, mm -hmm. about the question. The question is how many book cats, how many record book cats can I, I'm, you know, I'm looking for a Boone and Crockett lion. You know, how many of those, how do how many of those a year do you kill? How do you answer that question? You know, we don't, we don't kill one of those every year. We kill one of those about every five years. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so um, we we have one line that's in the book. He's number three in the state. And then mm -hmm. they, I think we've got one or two others that are in there too. But um, most time you don't, you don't kill very many of those. That's like, I had a guy message the Facebook page a while back and he said, yeah, I'm looking to kill 170 pound Tom. That's what I'm after. And I said, oh, good <laughs> luck. You know, I said, they're out Go to there. British you Columbia. <laughs> yeah it's like he says you guys kill kill them i'm saying yeah we killed something like that but the expectations of killing one like that it's it's slim you know even british columbia they they do get bigger lines up there but it's i've talked to outfitters up there and they said it's it's still tough to find one that big you know mm -hmm. but like yeah. this guy was dead set on that's what he's going to go home with i was honest with him and said no chances of killing one like that is pretty slim we've killed them like that before but it's 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 going to be tough to find one. What's going to happen is he's going to get a hold of an outfitter that's going to tell him exactly what he wants to hear. He's sure. Going, oh yeah, we kill 170 pounds. We should kill five or six of those a year, and he's going to say, "Yep, I'm going with that guy." They're going to kill 140 pound Tom, and that outfitter's going to say, "Oh, we didn't need to weigh that thing. Ah, oh, that's what he weighs. He's 170 pound Tom." He's going to slap that guy in the back and say, "Good job, Bob." And that we're guy's going to go, we're gonna go ahead and tell and field, everybody that. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and field dress that here in the field. Uh, you know, so, so it's easier to get out of here and you get it back and it'll weigh, it'll weigh 135 pounds and they'll say, oh, the guts, the guts weighed 35 pounds. Mm -hmm, exactly. He was full of meat. Didn't you, don't you remember? We, we looked at him. He's full of meat when we, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It happens all the time. People, a lot of this, a lot of lines, we, we get out there. We, most time we don't have a scale with us. Sometimes we do, and, but most time you can't get them to the truck. So we skin them there and like, okay, that's probably 140 pound Tom. That's a good, nice big old Tom, but there are a lot of outfitters out there that, oh, that's 170 pound Tom. And like, you want to, let's bet some money on that and see what it comes out to be, you know? Thousand dollars says he's not, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, let's, so, let's get, let's get into, uh, let's get beyond the choosing the outfitter thing. Let's talk about, let's talk about, some of the most important things and um we want to talk about we'll, i want to talk to you about you know care for the trophy afterwards you know care for that that lion afterwards the guys i hear it all the time bucket list hunt i can't even from other houndsmen um you know this is a bucket list hunt so obviously the ability of the outfitter to care for that lion and have it preserved properly, skinned properly, preserved properly, all of that sort of stuff. I want to get to that, but you started to talk about rifles and different things like that. And I've seen everything from, you know, guys talking about lion hunting with 300 Winchesters to 22 mags. And um, somewhere in between that is the right answer. So exactly. what do you recommend? What do you recommend for uh, calibers, bullet selections or just use the outfitter's rifle exactly so if you're bringing a rifle and you're dead set on bringing your own 
I'd recommend this. Is what I tell all our guys that come hunting, I'd recommend bringing a two like two twenty three, twenty two two fifty, two forty three, twenty five out six. Nothing huge. I have guys that want to bring like a three hundred wind mag or three thirty eight or something, and like, no, you're not bringing your three thirty eight Lapua. <laughs> yeah, we're Sorry. not we're not we're not killing African charging African lions here. There's no yeah. there's no no danger of a. Uh, uh, uh cape buffalo charging us out there we're we're good exactly and those bigger rifles and they just most of the time they're they ring your ears and they ring my dog's ears when that gun goes off and it blows a big old hole in the back side of that line you know on the other side the exit wounds the size of your fist and a lot of people say oh that's no big deal my my tacticers take care of that but what they don't realize when they go to go to dress that up and trim that that taxidermist has to take some height around the outside of that wound you know the perimeter of that wound so that's taken away from your trophy so the less less trophy damage less bigger hole not as big of a hole that you blow in that line is, is better that's fine like bows a lot of people want to bring bows and and i kind of keep them to the mindset that you're gonna to have to do a whole lot more so in your tax numbers that you're going to with a mm -hmm. bow i've seen some shots from bows that they were, you know, one shot deal, but that bow always tears up more than, than a rifle ever does. Mm -hmm. So especially mechanical broadheads, I don't let anybody bring mechanical broadheads at all. It's all fixed. Hallelujah. What happens is that, that, that hunter goes to shoot that line. He's up in a big tree or something. And I'm not a mechanical, mechanical broadhead fan. Yeah, they're 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 not a good thing because they they open premature it just takes one little twig and one little pine needle and that mechanical opens up prematurely just a split second before it hits that line then it has a chance of hitting another branch and instead of hitting that line in the vitals it might hit him in the guts you know and i don't like that i like giving them lines as as clean of a, a death and clean of a harvest as possible we owe that to them so i like making sure it's a good clean ethical shot and i try to get get guys not to uh not to bring a bow, especially just these days, it's just a pain in the ass getting one to the airport and hauling one on a mule. And, mm -hmm. But here lately, I've been really strict about it because last year I had a dog got shot by one of my archery hunters and he's a high level competition archery, you know, guy and really high level. But when you're shooting foam targets on a mountainside in a course, is different than shooting 140 pound mountain line from 30 feet away. There's there's no adrenaline when you're shooting foam targets, and right. uh, that cost cost me a good dog. You know, he went home with 140 pound mountain line, but I buried a ten thousand dollar dog. So I mm -hmm. was I I'm really getting to the point where I don't really like taking archery hunters anymore because man, they're, they're just just a pain. But if you are dead set on bringing your bow, bring a fixed blade broadhead, and it'll do less damage to your trophy than a than a mechanical briar creek kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter boots lights collars and tracking equipment dog boxes kennel supplies collars clothes squalors whoo they have it all briar creek kennel is a garment and dog tree dealer owner chris girth will ensure briar creek kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. 
Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. The first hunt I went on, the first mountain lion hunt I ever went on was with an outfitter. And uh, it was 1993 in Scalcaho Lodge down in uh, Hamilton, Montana. And I talked about, I was one of those guys. I was like, I'm bringing my bow. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot. And John told me, he's like, man, I'd rather you didn't. And mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm good with this bow. You know, <laughs> That's I, they all say, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. And, uh, he's like, well, we're going to, we're going to, if you bring it, then I'm going to put you through. He actually told me when he said, I'm going to set, we're going to set this up where I see you shoot that bow and do some different things there to see how good you are. But I've got the final say, whether you're taking that bow or not, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, but sometimes even guys with guns aren't safe. You know? Oh no, no, they're, <laughs> they're not safe too. Sometimes they're, they're wild, you know? It's, yeah. It's yeah. Pretty, I was talking, wild. talking too much to adrenaline. A, yeah, no doubt. I was talking to an outfitter here a couple of weeks ago and, uh, it was Corey Daly down little lost outfitters and we just got on that subject it's like man how do you deal with the you know that guy that that uh his he he always wanted to take his son on a on a lion hunt and the son has got more sense with a gun than he's got you know Mm -hmm. and and I, i don't even know how you guys deal with that kind of stuff it just Corey told me what he did what do you do what do you do when you get a guy out there that that shouldn't even be in charge, you know, handling a firearm. I take his bullets. Do you? I take, yep. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. We, we tell him like, you only put one bullet in that gun before we shoot that line. You don't keep any other in the magazine, keep the other ones in your pockets. There's been times I just hear, give me your rifle. Oh, give me them bullets. And I just take it from him. Hey, can I have that rifle back? So I know I'll carry it for you because what happens is they keep that, that rifle with, with the extra bullets in there, they shoot that line. They might make a really good shot on that line. He's a dead mm-hmm. line. He's just going to run 80 yards and pile up. But they, it's your natural instinct to rechamber another round because when you see that line bailing out of that tree or off that cliff, it looks like he's getting away. So mm-hmm. it's your natural instinct to just rechamber another round. <clears throat> and then the line goes down there and they're like, oh, hey, he's dead. Never mind. You don't need a follow-up shot. People forget to take that that bullet out of the chamber. And that's it. That's not safe. That's dangerous. Walking around rock piles and stuff, and you got a loaded rifle. Loaded and then pistol. you you look at you, then you look it over real close, and you realize that they didn't even put the safety back on. If they're using a semi-auto loader, or a, you know, a, a, a they did rechamber around. I've seen that. I've seen that around coon trees. Look mm-hmm. over, and you're like, "Hey, man, is that is that ten twenty two on? Have you got the safety on on that thing? Oh yeah." And then they look down, and it's like, "Whoops, no, I didn't." You know. I've had, yeah. I've had close calls, you know, with, with, and I was a hunter ed instructor for 30 years, you know, mm-hmm. um, taught hundreds of kids, thousands of kids on firearm safety. And, and every once in a while you'll catch yourself where it's just like, man, I, you know, so it happens to everybody, but you also can spot those guys. We used to do some stuff here at home, do some outdoor adventure stuff. And part of it was target shooting and, you always had those dads that were like, oh yeah, I grew up shooting and stuff. And, and, you know, my daughter who was 10 years old 
reaches over and she says, dad, at the time she was 10, she's like, dad, he didn't put the safety back on. He's over there flagging everybody on the range. It's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm -hmm. You know? So yeah, ego can kick in a lot of times. And I think it's less likely when you've got a one-on-one situation, like you guys are running. I think most Mm -hmm. people are like, Cleve's the expert here. I'm going to do exactly what he says. Yeah. 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 Most guys respect that. There's some that, boy, it gets them been out of shape. Nothing personal. It's just, just protocol, you know? Well, it's, it's personal when they shoot you. That's pretty yeah, damn right. personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's personal when they shoot a hole in the side of the truck or they kill one of your hounds. It gets personal then. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, it's, you got to have a low tolerance for that sort of stuff. So make sure that, that if you're booking a line hunt, that you, you, you do what your your outfitter, your guide tells you, and don't take it personal. You know, Mm-mm. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what kind of. I'm sure that the state isn't going to fund your uh, your insurance for you. So you, you know, there's a there's a lot of risk. It's it's an extremely safe thing. And I'm. Have you ever had any accidents? No, no, never have. Uh-uh, not one. So we've been lucky. <laughs> because people do what they you know people people do that sort of stuff. They, they listen to what you say. What about, um, so we talked about caliber. What about bullet selection, Cleve? Yeah. I like something that doesn't blow the hell out of them. You know, I like them, like, kind of like Barnes bullets or whatever that go in there and expand. They don't blow a big hole out the other end. I want them. I want the bullet to expand inside that animal. Mm -hmm. It's safer, safer for the dogs too. You don't want that bullet going through that lion and killing a dog on the other side. If, if you're in a big rock ledge or something, that's a lot of people they youtube mountain lion videos and they automatically think oh man i'm gonna be shooting a lion you know 20 feet up in a tree at, at a 45 degree angle not here in nevada we catch probably 30 percent, 40 percent of our lions in rock piles and big cliffs and ledges and uh it always doesn't always go that way <clears throat> you know you're not always shooting at close range and you're not always you're not always having that that i don't know luxury to sit there and wait for that line to turn around get the perfect shot sometimes it's a it's a fly by the seat of your pants and you crawl down a rock pile and shoot him you know at a weird angle too so but um but the, on the bullet selection yeah 223 all the way up you know maybe 25 about six make sure it's not not a solid point make sure it expands inside but ain't gonna blow the hell out of them off yeah. the other end your tax number so appreciate it right yeah we did a we did a an episode with um, on bullet selection and we talked about hard cast versus you know hollow points and different things like that i think mm-hmm. i think the biggest misconception is and it, correct me if i'm wrong but in my opinion a mountain lion is not a very hard animal you know they're not tough Mm-mm. if no. you get a good shot placement you don't need a lot of a lot of gun to kill them no you don't and seldom do you need a backup shot if you make a good shot you know yeah you don't need to follow up but you're right yeah they're not hard to kill they're not i mean they're a big animal but they're not you know they're not heavy bone like an elk or yeah you know moose or something right so, so it's yeah it's overkill to bring anything bigger than a 25 by six in my opinion yeah so not very much good so. point mm-hmm. good point all right let's talk about the lines on the ground we've we've selected you to be our outfitter what should i be expecting once that line hits the ground yeah, most time we don't let our dogs pull that line hardly at all. Just let them get a couple bites in, you know, and let, drag them off and tie them up and make sure them dogs are out of the way when we go take pictures and skin the line. 
once we start skinning that line, you know, I've had guys that, that want to get in there and help me skin it. Oh, here, I'll grab my knife and skin. If you, you're with an outfitter, let your outfitter do that. Just help help him hold one of the line legs or something. Help help him hold something out of the way. Because you get two knives whipping in there, somebody pulls the line, you're gonna you're gonna have either an accident, somebody's gonna get cut, or you're gonna make a bad cut in that mountain lion hide. And then mm-hmm. you know, this can be bad. My brother guided a guy a few years back, and the guy said, "I want I want to help skin." My brother said, oh, yeah, I'll skin it. And, oh, that I want to skin it, you know. And so that guy's helping out. And that guy cut a big old slice inside of that hide, hell, about 10 inches long, eight inches long. Like, <laughs> There's the your line. The guy looks at my brother says, maybe I'll let you just do the skinning, you know. It's it's a lot better. <laughs> you know, everybody wants to be involved, but sometimes it's better just hold something for the outfitter or the guide and, and just hold the flashlight, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. If it's in the dark. And then, you know, just. Make sure if, if you're doing it yourself, say if you want to do it yourself, hunt or whatever, make sure you're using a sharp knife. I've seen people try to skin lines with dull knives. And, oh, oh I've, had goodness. To, I've had to try it and like, oh, crap, wrong knife. Let me grab one with a good blade. And it's a lot cleaner cuts for the taxidermist to sew up. You know, if you use a dull knife, it kind of butchers it. And you, can, you can tell when somebody uses a dull knife versus a sharp one. Sure. So use a, use a sharp knife. What about, uh, I'll start this asking you how long does it take you to skin a line um probably about 30 minutes my brother my brother can skin one 17 flat that's yeah. fast that's quick yeah. sure yeah, yeah it I'm, is I'm, I'm not as fast as he is so but about yeah, about 30 minutes i would rather have minutes. a good good job than a fast job yeah, um he does both <laughs> yeah that's yeah. good that's mm-hmm. good and you can it's always fun to watch that you know they're a master of their craft and and you can see it when they're doing it and uh, I'm the type of guy that, that doesn't like to watch other people work. You know, mm-hmm. if somebody else is working, I feel like I need to be in there. So it's interesting about, you know, it's like, here, hold this. Here, do this. Won't you just, you know, but stay out of my way. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you need somebody to hold something more than you need them to get in there and start throwing elbows around. And Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah it's, it's so what's a good, what's a good skinning job look like, um, for somebody that has never seen a mountain lion skinned, how, you know, what does that look like when it's all said and done? Yeah. So you start skinning, we typically make all of our cuts first. So we cut, make your initial cuts going down each leg. You start on the front, you start right below, like right at the wrist and go mm-hmm. all the way to the center of their chest on each side. And then on the hind legs, you, you go right right behind their hawk, you know, right behind, right, right, right there where their foot starts. Go all the way down to where, I guess it'd be like their Achilles and their ankle. And then go all the way down to right there in their groin area on both mm-hmm. sides. And then go up the belly. And you just want, you want to make those cuts as smooth as you can. You don't want to have to go in there and start cutting and then, you know, stop and then start again. Because every time you go to start again, sometimes... Sometimes it'll butcher it and you'll see a little zigzag mark right there where your blade started again. So once you start, see if you can just keep that blade running as long as you can without starting again. That makes a lot cleaner cut. How far up into the brisket do you go? um, Well, we skin them right right to the chest right there. And then once once we get those cuts, then we start peeling it all back and we don't, we don't really go, we don't really cut that hide into the brisket. We start right, we stop right there, right there in the sternum is where we make that two cuts come together Yeah. from each, each leg. 
and then start getting that peeled back. And by the time you get done, you know, you'll, you'll have the tail in there. We leave the tail in the head and the feet that we let the taxidermist skin those out. Mm-hmm. So we, that's what we're packing out is mountain lion head inside the hide. The feet are, and the tail is. So the and skull, the tailbone's still in it and all, all four, all four paws right below that first joint at the feet. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. The reason I was asking about all that stuff is because I'm trying to do this, you know, explain this for the person that's never seen one skinned. If you see your outfitter or your guide, you know, split that lion all the way up to the chin. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You're, yeah. You just got a rug. Congratulations. You just, your full body mount just turned into a rug. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yep. So, yeah, you don't want them. You know, you don't want them to skin it all the way to that chin or up up to that Adam's apple or nothing like that. You, that it, it needs to those cuts need to come together right there in the sternum. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, after you get that line skinned out, uh, most states require that you or they ask that you they can pull a premolar for aging. So as mm-hmm. soon as that line's dead, you take pictures after after everything's done. You skin it. You want to take like a pine cone or an empty water bottle or something to put that in that lion's mouth because that rigor mortis sets in then you got a locked jawed mountain lion and it's a lot easier for that biologist to pull that tooth if his mouth is spread open so that's something to think about and everybody forgets all outfitters and guides forget to do that all the time most of the time we get it done and it makes it a lot easier and biologists kind of get pissy if you don't but, yeah but anyway, uh, that's a lot easier for, for him to pull that premolar. Do you know if Montana's still retaining skulls after, are they still collecting the skull and keeping that for the only, I don't know. they used to, they used to keep them. The, oh, they'd okay. come out. Yeah. They'd come out and they'd take them and then they would ship them back to you. I bet they've changed that since then. Um, but that's how they used to do it. I have my, lion skull actually sent back to me after it was i assume it was the same skull well i guess it was because it had my tag uh through they tagged it when they took it so yeah i was just curious but now it just seems to be you know pull a pull a premolar type thing yeah i think yeah nevada and almost all the other western states it's just pulling a premolar and i would imagine montana is probably on the same page down too yeah, I would like to think so. But that's that's one thing you got to get done. Now, when you're at that, say now you you're at the fishing game office, getting that line sealed and inspected, and they're taking all the paperwork down. They pull the premolar, then they'll go to punch the seal through this through the hide. What's best to do on that is to don't don't put that seal. It's just like a common looks like a like a lockout tag out seal or like a right. zip tie. Mm-hmm. Don't put that seal through the exit wound. I, I think it's better. And taxidermists have told me to this cut a little slice, little hole about a half inch from the edge of the hide and run that seal through there. Like right there on the side of the belly or on the forearm or in one of the hocks, someplace where there's not much fat though. And what that does when they send that line to the taxidermist sends that line to the tannery, it's a lot easier for that tannery to get their, their flesh and tool around that, that seal because they can't take that seal out the tax number has to take it out when he goes to mount that line. Mm-hmm. So they have to leave it in there. It's a lot easier for them to work around your hide and, and clean that hide up and flesh it with their fleshing tool, that wheel, than it is with, 
you know, with that that uh, that seal out there in the middle of the line, it's all watered up skin, and they got to work around that. So that that'll make it a lot better. Always seem to do that. Always be sure to do that. Um, and another thing on that, when you're at the fish and game office, if you're an international hunter, you're going to have to have an import export permit and a bunch of paperwork on that line to get it back to wherever you live overseas or whatever abroad. Side of tags. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a whole nother pro, you know, a whole nother subject we'll cover here pretty soon. But when you're, when you're there, make sure you get every ounce of information about your harvest. If you're, if you're an international hunter and you're going to have that lion shipped back to your home cross seas, whatever, make sure that file just can send you an email with all the harvest information. If it's a, a sheet, take a copy of that sheet, make copies of it because your import export agent will probably need a lot of that information. Even though your line's sealed, it's got a tag, it's all cleared. Some some countries require that they have all that harvest info, your outfitters information, all that. So get as much info on that harvest report of that lion as you can, because you might need it in the future. We've ran into that a couple of times and, and uh, each country is different. Brazil is different than Australia and Germany is different than Mexico. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 totally different uh, requirements. Yeah. So. Yeah, make sure you're squared away on that. And the the thing on that is, you know, you'll be good if you get all that stuff. But when you do get a taxidermist to do all that for you, make sure he's got a good import-export agent that he uses on a regular basis. That way you get somebody that really knows what they're doing. They do all the paperwork right. Because if they so, don't, you might not get your line back. So the outfitter, it should... That's a question you should ask your outfitter too. If you're if you're coming from Canada or you're coming from Mexico or wherever you're coming from to hunt with you, you know, mm-hmm. do you have an import export agent? That's a question that they need to be asking. Yep. Or if they main main thing was would be to ask if they have a taxidermist that they recommend that does international shipping. So if he does a lot of international shipping, he's gonna have an import export agent that he uses on a regular basis and that guy's gonna know his stuff. Because to get that lion back overseas, you can't just send a raw, a raw skin back overseas. You got to have a taxidermist. Even if you're going to have a taxidermist in your country you live in, mount it for you. You still have to have a taxidermist here, flesh it, tan it, do all that stuff, dip it for parasites and all that. Cause they don't want to send that stuff overseas. So they're pretty strict about that. So you still got to find a taxidermist that's willing to do that for you. Even though he's not mounting your lion, he can prep it for import export permit. Right. And, all that so ask your outfitter you know hey do you have a a tax number that you recommend look out his website see if he's got stuff from africa and all this you know exotic stuff all over the world because if he's bringing it in he's probably sending it out too so he's be well versed in that Mm -hmm. so yeah just check up on that on that tax dermist well i think i think that's a good place to transition to the next part is choosing a taxidermist for your mountain lion. I've seen, uh, you know, guys go out and spend a lot of money on, on mountain lion hunts, be successful and bring it back East here to a guy that, that does deer and Turkey. And now they've got a cartoon character on their wall instead of, uh, a good quality mount of a, mm-hmm. of a mountain lion, you know, the thing's head's too big. It's eyes are bulging out. You know, you, you can just tell, you can just tell because their brother-in-law does taxidermy and they're going to save money on the, on the taxidermist mount. So 
what as an outfitter, what do you recommend for a taxidermist? Um, I recommend you take it to somebody that's done a lot of mountain lions. It's predominantly, you know, especially like a guy that really specializes in predators or cats. That's the mm-hmm. way to go. And I, I like we have we have about a half a dozen out or taxidermists that we recommend, and they're really really good. And that's what I tell a lot of guys that say, hey, you got you got somebody. Oh yeah, and he sends shows me pictures of what his hometown taxidermy guy does, and it's like, who? That don't look good. What do you mean? I said that guy didn't set the ears right on that line. The eyes don't look right. You know, I could pick stuff apart all day long, and they mm-hmm. don't see it. But if you you know if you want to, you could you could ask the outfitter and say, hey, okay, what taxidermist do you recommend? Look at their stuff. You know, most of the time they're going to be pretty good. Not always, but I'd uh, I would definitely go through and make sure that you know they got a pile of mount lines that they've done and they look good. If somebody's only mounted three or four mount lines, I wouldn't send mine to them. They wouldn't touch my line because they can do bobcats and foxes and coyotes and stuff, but mount lines are some of the hardest creatures there make look just right. So make sure that he's he's got a reputation and he's good and don't look at it and say, well, yeah, I guess I'd be, I'd be happy with that. I guess look at it and say, wow, you know, man, that's amazing. Look at this other one. He did another amazing one, a really good one there. Oh, look, he, he won awards on this one. That's the guy you're going to want to go with. Mm-hmm. You know, and if somebody you're to have any doubt, they can message our Facebook page. I'll tell them who, who we recommend, you know, that way there's no guesswork in it. They know it's going to somebody good, you know? Right. So, well, Obviously, if you're going to pick somebody good, then there's going to be a price tag. You know, they've got that reputation for being good. So I think a lot of mistakes that I have made personally in the past is not figuring in the the taxidermy work into the price of my hunt. You know, and I get this mountain lion. It's like, I'll just shit. I'll just freeze it and shit, you know, take it home with me and I'll get to it. And then I'm totally out of position because, you know, people in... Indiana aren't going to do as well as somebody that's living in a 406 area code out there, you know, or, or something like that, or Nevada that, that's putting their hands on a lot of lions. So I think a, a good tip that I would give people is if you're coming from the East and you're going to book this hunt, then go ahead and figure your taxidermy work into the cost of your hunt. That's, that's as important in the end as you're going to regret it if you don't. You know, it's as important as your anything, any other cost that you have. Exactly. And that's the one that's going to last the longest. You're going to yeah. have to look at that thing for the next 30 years and say, damn, that thing, that look, thing looks like crap. You know, like you said, <laughs> looks, it looks like, like Garfield. Yeah. <laughs> looks, like, looks like Garfield up there on the wall. Look how fat it is. And it's big old head. And, you know, you lose that ears are set wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I've been messaging uh, Mark Dufresne back and forth. We, I was in Louisiana last week, and there was this ratty deer on the wall hanging in this seafood restaurant. It looked like it was, you know, stuffed with – the nose looked like a tube socks, you know. I mean, it was just round. It was terrible. It was all discolored and stuff. I snapped a picture of it and sent it to Mark Dufresne. I said, I see your work has made it to southern Louisiana, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he sent me one of this – obliterated fox so i like catching those those um really bad taxidermist mounts and rubbing it into my taxidermist friends gets a good yeah. laugh out of them mm-hmm. yeah yeah 
Yeah, it's, yeah it's, there's a lot of bad taxidermy work out there. Oh, man. Man, there is. And so, all right. So, let me ask you. A lot you of guys don't know the difference, you know? Well, lot, that's what I was going to say. That's another thing I was going to say is you can spot a bad taxidermist mount. But I've mm -hmm. seen guys have stuff on the wall. It's like, man, I got my, you know, maybe as a deer head. I got my deer head back. Come in here and look at it. And I look at it and I'm like, ooh, wee, wow. You know, I can't believe you did that. Uh, but they don't, they're just like, oh, look at that thing. Doesn't it look great? It's like, yeah, yeah that, that's, that is definitely something. That is something right there, man. Yeah, I bet yeah. you, you, I, I can see you're proud of it. You know, I don't lie to them and say, oh yeah, that's great. And I don't, yeah. I'm not brutally honest either and say, man, that looks like crap, you know, yeah. but, yeah. uh, but most right. people, when they see a mountain line on the wall, I don't think most people even notice, you know? But dang, be you should, you know, if you're going to spend that money, be selective on who you get to mount that thing. Exactly. Yep. That's yep. like a lot of, a lot of tax owners, they don't set the ears right. They make the ears stand up too much to like a fox or coyote. Mountain lion's ears set totally different than a coyote and fox's ears. Yeah. And it, oh, it drives me nuts. <clears throat> like some of those, these guys that catch lions for, they'll send me a picture, you know, after they get their lion back. Oh, got my lion back. Couldn't be happier. You know, I'm like, yeah, oh, good deal. Unless they ask, and then they're like, what do you think? I'm like, mm, looks like a $3,000 mountain lion mount, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look very good. You don't think he did a good job? Like, no, I wouldn't let him I wouldn't let him touch my line. No right. offense, but no, I wouldn't let him do mine. It's like we had a guy that killed a lion two, three years ago, and he came back to kill a couple more. And, and uh, the first one, I said, your line still at that text rest? Yeah, I said, I I got somebody else that would do a lot better job. No, this guy's really good. He didn't listen to me. And he said it to that other guy and he's not happy with it, but it's too late now. Right. The next yeah. two that he killed, you know, he's, he's, he, he's taken them to, he sent them to the guy I recommend, one of the guys I recommend. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's better. He'd be happy with it. But the mm -hmm. other one, ooh, it looked rough. And I'm like, I wouldn't be happy with that. Well, let's so just, just here, do make sure you're going you're, you're sending them to somebody that's really good, you know, let's just dispel a, you know, something right now, because I don't care. And I think, I think if I'm depending on you to recommend a taxidermist to me, I don't care if you get a commission or a kickback on that, mm -hmm. you know, that's part of the service that I'm paying you for your expertise. It's it, to me, that goes right into I expect you to have hounds that can trail a lion. I expect you to have equipment that can get me through the mountains. And I expect you to, to have the knowledge of, of where to find mountain lions. So I've heard people, you know, complain about, oh yeah, don't, don't take the outfitters recommendation. They get a, they get a kickback and a cut when they recommend people to these taxidermists. Well, good deal, man. I'm paying you for all your other expertise. Yeah, I'm I'm exactly. I'm happy to take your take your advice on this too. I'm not paying the taxidermist anymore. That comes out of the taxidermist in. So don't worry about that garbage. If if you're if Cleve Dwyer gets a kickback or a commission for recommending a taxidermist, good for you, Cleve. I'm happy for you. You know that to me, that's just part of the expertise that I'm paying you for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because I even if I were to get a commission. I wouldn't recommend that tax numbers unless I'd want him to do my own stuff. Exactly. You know, 
And yeah. some of the tax members we recommend have done stuff for us. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's why I recommend them, you know? So, right. you know, it's so just as valuable. It's just as valuable as where to find the lion track when you're preserving this hunt of a lifetime trophy for the rest of your life. You need exactly. to depend. You need to depend on your outfitters' uh, wisdom and advice on that too. Yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. let's talk. Let's talk about. Uh, say, say you get a hard head like me, and uh, a guy that's like, "Oh yeah, there is taxidermy involved in this. I'm going to take it back home with me and and put it in my freezer and and uh, my no good worthless brother-in-law that." mounts turkeys like that look like roadkill chickens he's going to do my mountain lion for me and you can't convince me of anything else um how should that lion be preserved and and transported back home and i know it makes a difference between flying and driving and all that sort of stuff but but what's a standard practice for you guys that's a good question most of the time we uh we skin skin that line out you know we got the head the hide and and feet still in that and the tail still in that hide when we ship it we make sure it's sealed and inspect and all that put it in a couple garbage bags put it in bottom like a 28 quart or 30 quart cooler like great big giant lunchbox <clears throat> squeeze all the air out of that garbage bag tie a knot in it make sure it's packed in there tight and then freeze it if you don't have a freezer to freeze it in you can use dry ice, but make sure you put a layer of cardboard between that lion, even though he's in a garbage bag, between that lion and the dry ice. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of times I, I didn't have I was out of town. I didn't have a, a freezer. Didn't know anybody in town that had a freezer that I could use. So I use a use dry ice and most times about ten pounds, eight pounds of dry ice will freeze that lion solid by morning. No kidding. Oh yeah, it's rock solid. And so after that lion's freeze frozen. I go to ship it, not I'm not supposed to, but I put more dry ice in there on top of it if I can. Mm-hmm. That way, if there's a, you know a hiccup in shipping or something, that line's not sitting there thawing out in post office warehouse or something. Sure. But when you ship it, try to put more dry ice in there, tape it up really good, and we don't use styrofoam coolers. I've seen guys use styrofoam coolers. Don't use those. Go down and get a hard plastic one. It don't have to be the best cooler out there. The better, the better coolers are give you more peace of mind, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but you know that's hundred dollar cooler, hundred twenty dollar cooler versus a thirty five dollar cooler. Just make sure that line's packed in there good. Throw some dry ice in there. Make sure that cardboard's between the lion and the dry ice, so that dry ice doesn't burn that hide, get it too frostbitten and whatever. And then packed in there tight and ship it. When we ship those. We ship them like two-day express, whether it's UPS, you know, U.S. Postal Service, FedEx, whatever. Ship them on Mondays and Tuesdays. I try to never ship them past Wednesday because you want that line to get there during the week, during business hours. As soon as I send or send that line off, I take a picture of that receipt and send it to the tax terms it's going to. So he can start tracking it from the time it leaves my hands. And then that way... I'm out in the mountains. I'm out of service. I don't have to worry about it. That tax risk. That's his deal now. You mm-hmm. can go down to get it if it's at the post office or something happens. You know, I've had that. We've had that happen where they had a mount line sitting in the back of the post office for a day and it's stalling out. And he went down there to to see if it came in. And the guy at the post office says, "Oh no, I don't, I don't see it here." And he's like, 
uh, yeah, my tracking says it was liver this morning. Right. Sure enough, they get digging around, found it back there and didn't thaw out, didn't ruin it. But when I shipped those lines to a taxidermist, here's something to think about. I, I never put the taxidermist company's name because anti hunters will see that it's going to a taxidermy mm-hmm. studio. And some of them are like, well, screw him. He ain't getting that. And that's happened. Yeah. So I just, I just put, you know, the taxidermist first and last name, Bob Jones or whatever his name is, put that on there. And that way it keeps the antis from looking through and say, oh, okay. Oh, mountain lion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's right to kill mountain lions. Maybe we'll just let this thing sit here for a while. He won't get it back or it'll get back to be spoiled or something. Right. So that's, that's kind of a practice I've got into that I'm getting a little bit better at. And, and just, I think it's helped, you know, probably helped at least once or twice. So. Sure something to think about yeah and then make sure that taxidermist has has all that shipping info before before long you know before you freaking get out of town or whatever mm-hmm. before you get on your plane and fly out or something yeah. i've had guys that take mountain lion and they're you know like on on the plane with them carry on but i don't recommend that because there's there was an instance oh five or six years ago uh mountain lion hunter came hunting lions here in Nevada. It wasn't one of our guys though, but he took the mountain lion with him on the plane. Well, customs or TSA or whatever says, uh, uh-uh. and he was, he was hundred percent in the right, but he sat there for, you know, three or four hours until Nevada department wildlife got there and went through it. And they say, Oh yeah, you're fine. But he missed his flight. I'm sure they probably gave him another flight. It wasn't his fault, but I've right. heard of guys taking mountain lion and put it in their luggage. Do not do that. Because they lose stuff all the time. Your line's going to spoil if they lose it. Sure. So safest thing is to hire your outfitter, ask your outfitter if he can ship it for you. If you got to get on the plane and get home, have him ship it for you and then just reimburse him for the shipping cost. That's how, how we do it. And have you guys, you know, just do that. Mm-hmm. Reimburse me. That's a lot safer. Um, I want, I want to say this before I forget about it. Cause we're talking about shipping lines now. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, there are, there are people in the East. I'm, I don't mean to rip on taxidermists in the East because there are some good taxidermists in the East too. And mm-hmm. we've got, we've got some guy, a guy just North of us here <clears throat> that has done stuff from all over the world. And he's one, he's, he's a great taxidermist. Uh, there was a guy here local that was an, inter- an international hunter so a lot of African cats and stuff were shipped back here. So that's not that wasn't my point. But be selective on your taxidermy. The the thing that I want to want to ask you about now is seems like the newer uh, the newer generation of hunters, and it's not a bad thing at all. But they're they're focused more on um, you know the meat harvest too. So mm-hmm. do you have more clients that are are taking the meat home with them too um probably about the same as it's always been you know most people want to try try it you know back straps to cut some back straps out or a ham or something and take that uh-huh. most most guys that are flying they can't but it, surprisingly enough a lot of guys that drive out you know they bring a big cooler they want to take that whole line back right and seems like guys from back east that drive here want to do that more than the westerners because they're like man i want to try that mountain line out you know have right. a barbecue and have all my buddies over there and tell them it's mountain line meat you know yeah so that's more common if they drive out and then they're pretty pretty set on taking taking a good bit of that line meat home yeah but, uh, but yeah so that it's 
it, it does happen, you know, but most people are like, yeah, I'll take a back strap. I'll try it out. That's about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So, yeah. But I was just sure. curious about that part. It seems like everybody, you know, if, if you can eat, if you, if you can't eat it, then don't kill it has been a trend that's been developing lately. And some of it, we've done some podcasts about that. I think we did one called eat it or not. And, um, you know, some, some of the stuff that, that, uh, when you, when you are hunting, I don't know where that attitude comes from. You know, I'm not eating a coyote. I'm not going to do it. You know, I'll shoot them, but I'm not eating them. And, and I think we get, we get lost in the, in the weeds sometimes about, you know, I don't want it to go to waste. Well, dead animals on the landscape don't go to waste. They never Mm -hmm. go to waste. They're feeding something, but I'm not, I'm also not saying, you know, shoot mountain lions and, and just kick the carcass over the hill either. You know, that's not what I'm saying. Cause I know a lot of people I've eaten it. I like it. It's fine. I, you know, make it into bratwurst and I mean, they're good. I like them, but I was just curious about the, if you've seen an uptick in the, the trend to, to pack these animals home. Cause back, back in the day, it wasn't a big deal. Nobody did it. Yeah. And I'm sure it's probably getting more popular. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I would imagine, especially with all podcasts like meat eater and stuff, it gets kind of people inspired. I'm going to try eating that, or, you know, and stuff like that. And they got the recipes and all that. Crap. Sure. Yeah. 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 Kind of gets them motivated to do that. But Well, Jonathan Lesprince there for a while was, was uh, putting stuff on his Instagram feed and different stuff about, you know, grilling, uh, polka kibasca made out of mountain lion and bobcats and different stuff, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it looks sign me up, man. Let's slap some mustard on that thing and some grilled onions and let's eat. Yeah, it ain't gonna bite you back. So. That's right. That's right. That's right. What else we got, Cleve? What else we need to cover? Oh, uh, I was gonna talk about um, if somebody does decide to have a rug made, be sure to ask that taxidermist if he does it. A sewed felt backing. There's some taxidermists that, that use like hot glue mm-hmm. to to get that felt on there and glued on, and they don't have a good solid felt backing with a, like a, almost like it look almost looks like like a pillow top mattress looking material. Mm-hmm. Make sure that's the kind of material they're using. So like two or three layers of felt sewed to that like pillow top looking material, and then those will have D rings, and that's on the back side of your line, the part that goes against the wall that needs to have D rings on there. So you can, you can hang it from nails and hooks from your, your wall. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I had a big old line. I killed back in Oh five. Great big line. I think he weighed one fifty eight, and he's, yeah, he'd score Boone Crockett. He's 15, three sixteenths, big old line. And I, I didn't use the taxidermist that I normally used. I tried a different guy and, you know, experience tells you you should have did otherwise, but I, I didn't want to ship it. I got lazy and right. I had a different, a different taxidermist do it. And he did a really poor job on that. And that's what he did. He hot glued that felt on, didn't sew that, didn't have a, like a, like a pillow type mattress backing looking stuff on there. And he had put D rings. So I had to drive a nail through my mountain lion's hide and, uh, he didn't do a good job at all. And I got it in my, in my guest room. I don't even like going in there and looking at him because he's, <laughs> It a Boone and Crockett line that you can't stand to look at. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's and I made that mistake. That's that's why I tell people I'm like, don't well, that's why it's so easy to talk. 
Yeah, it's so easy to talk about this stuff. I've I've tried to shortcut too in the past. It's like, yeah, so and so's just getting into taxidermy, or uh, we gave him a try, and you know, everything from man, if they're if they're mountain squirrels that look like footballs, just turn around, and walk out. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not worth it. It's not worth if it. Th- if you think it costs a lot to have a professional do it, have an amateur do it. Yeah, <laughs> then it really costs a lot. You know, that's that's right. That's exactly but, right. But yeah, if you're going to do a rug deal, that's that's what I do. Make sure that they have sewed on felt backing and, and mm-hmm. have like that pillow top type material on there with D rings. So you can hang that line wherever you want and you don't have to worry about it getting that height and a wrinkle or nothing like that. It's a good quality rug. And then make sure they put, if you got a mountain lion mouth, uh, mountain lion rug mount and it's, or for a full body for that matter, look at them the pictures on the mountain lines that that taxidermist doesn't put wrinkles on that nose. Like he's snarling, just kind of looks like he's drunk, you know, just mm-hmm. hanging his mouth open. Don't go with that guy. And if he's got them ears out to the side, you know, kind of sticking out, don't go with that guy either. Cause the mountain line, when he snarls, he lays them ears flat back against his head. And, uh, that's, that's something to look at. If he's got them ears pointing out like satellite dishes, that's not ever going to look right. Right. You know, so make sure that nose is wrinkled. But the easiest thing is just ask somebody that knows, you know, contact an outfitter or, or, or go do your research and find really good taxidermists that have a lot of good reviews, mm-hmm. you know, got awards and they, they win big stuff. That's, do that. That's the best way to go. <clears throat> but, yeah. And then once you get that lion, you get it back home, you know, and or if you're having it mounted, Think about this. Are you always going to live in that house? And when you, where you put it in that house, if you move to another house, is that mount going to, going to be easy to make work in another house or complement another room in your house or something? A lot of guys don't think about that. And they think, oh, I'll live here forever. And then they move and they take that mountain line and they don't have any place to put him that makes it look right. You know, yeah. so if, if you think, ah, I might move someday, get a mount that you can put in a lot of different rooms or something that'll always look good and you'll see them good yeah it's uh when you start talking about mountain lion mounts especially if you're going to have them mounted on a rock or something like that if you're if you're living in a house with standard eight foot ceilings that that mount is going to have to be mounted probably about three feet off of the floor you know mm-hmm. to give you unless you want the mountain line with his head touching the ceiling you know, yeah. it's, it can be a challenge. So yeah, think it through all the way. I'll tell you one of the things that I've, I've been liking a lot more lately is just the tanned hide, you know, and hanging it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, a straight up tanned hide, whether it's a bear hide or, um, you know, coon hide or whatever, it kind of, you know, it kind of gives you the old trapper, the old trapper cabin feel type thing. But then again, I mean, you're looking at a mountain lion hanging, you're just going to need a lot of space. Yeah, because exactly. that tails unless you want your yog terror t- chewing the tail off of it. Yeah, that's bit like if you kill a lion, it's not a very big lion. That's that's an option. If you kill a big one, <laughs> yeah. yeah, do that lion justice. He he deserves that. Do that lion justice and take it to a high quality taxidermy studio. <clears throat> and you then bet. other things, <clears throat> if you uh, sorry about that. If you got that lion mounted in your your house, don't put it by big windows. That sunlight will kill kill that mount it fades it gets that hair to where it dries up and gets brittle and faded 
that doesn't do you any favors make sure he doesn't have that line doesn't have direct sunlight a lot very little mm-hmm. you know and then if you are putting it downstairs put it off the ground to where that base isn't on the ground because you have a pipe break floods that oh man that's gonna break your heart if it ruins your mountain line right like i got a, a guy he's killed three lions with us and two with a different outfitter he got a he's got a big trophy room downstairs well luckily he moved all of his mountain lines upstairs and he's got a mountain line room that's all he puts in there is his mountain line mounts luckily he did that because about a week after he did that he had a hot water heater break and it flooded his basement and ruined a lot of his other mounts yeah and he's like man i'm glad i moved my, all my mountain lines upstairs so kind of keep that in mind yeah you don't want you don't want that down that ruined <laughs> a nice big big mountain line mount yeah no doubt no doubt yeah sure all right he uh cleve i think we've uh what else you got anything we need to finish up here anything we missed yeah that's about it you know just um just i know a lot of i know a lot of guys that go on mounts you know before they come out hunting they're telling everybody i'm gonna go line hunting well they tell a taxidermist too oh you're gonna be the one that mounts my mountain line buddy so they're committed to him maybe before you do that just don't don't be committed to anybody so i don't know who i'm going to send it to they you know i might send it to somebody they know or something try not to commit to that just that's yet. always that a, that's always a difficult thing man that's always a difficult thing because i mean what do we do we go down and we hang out at the taxidermist shops and and mm-hmm. you know they mounted our deer and they've done our turkeys and they've done all this other stuff and it's almost like uh you feel like you're cheating on them if you don't bring the bring your mountain lion back to them but mm-hmm. dag on, you know, a, a good taxidermist, they may want to do it, but let them practice on somebody else's stuff. You know, That's what I always say, I, let, I them, let nobody practice on mine. Yeah. You let them, let them spend the money to, to, to go on a, an outfitted mountain lion hunt. And then they can bring their mountain lion home and they can mount, do their own mount on their own mountain lion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had a lion cool. lost and I'm, I'm, I had a mountain lion that was lost. I brought it back, guy. Same same scenario, and I lost that lion forever. You know, the mm-hmm. taxidermist misplaced it, so to speak. I don't know where whatever happened to that thing. Hmm. Luckily, I didn't. Luckily, I didn't put a deposit down. Yeah, yeah, that would have. Yeah, be be wanting to get that money back. Yep, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that'd be that'd be unfortunate. Yeah, I've, I've heard of things happening like that. You know, it's like well. They they get one back and they're like, oh, I don't think that's the same mountain line I sent there. It's like, no, it's probably the same one. It's the guy just didn't do line justice, you know. Right. right. Yeah. Sometimes that happens, but yeah, they do get lost and people people steal them. But uh, something something to keep in mind. I think they steal them and end up on the on the black market is what I think. Yeah, that's I never thought about that. Mm -hmm. But you're right. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Yep. That they do. It's probably hanging in some cracker barrel with a poor. Poor mount line mount job, poor taxidermy job over a cracker barrel fireplace or something. Yeah. That's yeah. where that's where my line's at. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Almost start looking right. around. Hey, that looks like my lion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's old Scarface. Yeah, no mm-hmm. doubt. No doubt. Yeah, for sure. Cleve, thanks for taking time, man. This was a good one. I like this is uh something that we've never done on the on the podcast before i think it's all valuable information and things that it's one of those finer points you just don't think about you know you don't 
take it for granted. Yeah, he's 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 gonna know what he's doing. He's gonna know how to skin a lion. He's gonna know how to get all this stuff taken care of. And and I think you shed some pretty good light on some stuff because man, I tell you, I've ran into some outfitters that um yeah, they just or guides anyway, and some outfitters, but be be selective. Protect yourself, protect your interests, protect your money. Be smart. Ask questions. It's your money. You deserve good answers and uh check those references. Thanks, Cleve. Yep. You betcha. All Have right. All right. Well, hey, this is the Houndsman XP podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure that you are sharing this podcast with your friends, especially those non-houndsman friends that may be wanting to go out and uh book a hunt with a an outfitter and cleave and uh his brother monty run bull creek lion hunts and bull creek outfitters is that right cleave have i got that right yep Mm -hmm. yes sir look for them on social media or the website is bull creek lion hunts there you have it folks i think we answered a lot of questions for you thanks for listening to the houndsman xp podcast this is fair chase